0: Mindfulness Mode 146. I'm able to not just put a band-aid on a lot of these limiting beliefs, but actually get rid of them so that I can be more
1: and do more. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, I talk with people from all walks of life to discover the many ways mindfulness has impacted their lives. Last time mindful tribe I talked with Amanda and Nicholas Barely and wow they are fitness experts with a difference because they they believe in meditating to what you really believe in your faith and centering on on your beliefs, and then working from there. So they believe in getting to the bottom of your big why. So if you did not listen to that episode, I think you'll really benefit by that. It's episode 145, so go back and check it out. Today, I'm talking with Jeremy Ryan Slate, and I'm telling you, he really impressed me. In so many ways, he talked about getting fit, and he talked about how we can make our life work, what success means. I think you'll really enjoy this episode as well because he has a great grip on what mindfulness means within his life. So settle back and enjoy. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Jeremy Ryan Slate on the line today. Hey, Jeremy, are you in mindfulness mode? Totally, Bruce. Let's kick it, man. (laughs) All right. Jeremy Ryan Slate is an online entrepreneur and fitness enthusiast. Jeremy pays regular visits to the gym where he has created the kind of sculpted body many men dream of. He's focused and centered on the kind of life he's decided to create for himself. He's also admired as host of the podcast, Create Your Own Life, and has interviewed such successful entrepreneurs as Pat Flynn, John Lee Dumas, and Bob Berg. So Jeremy, let's talk about mindfulness. Exactly, what does this word conjure up for you?
0: Well, for me, mindfulness is really being in action, and you know, being like here in this moment rather than kind of wrapped up in myself. You know what I mean? Because I, I think so many times we get pulled into our own heads, and we're, we're dangerous there. You know what I mean? Because we, <laughs> yes. we 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 look at a lot of the negative things that are that are happening to us, and like. You know, if I could tell a story real quick about something that actually happened to me yesterday, which is a great example of this. For sure, I got a really weird prank call yesterday, oh, and yeah? at the time I didn't know it was a prank call. The guy calls and he says, um, "You know, your father was just in this horrible car accident, and you know he could barely, you know, dial the numbers in this phone to, to have me call you. I just need you to tell me his name." And he went into this graphic description about how horrible it was and, you know, how bad a shape he was in. And I was just, I was very emotional, you know, so, so, um, understandably. Yeah. And, 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 I found out later that what they do is they try to get the person's name. And as they keep, keep getting you more and more and more emotional, they get each thing, you know, their social security yes. number, each, That's you know, what each they do. piece of information. Yeah. So you know, I went, first of all, because I was like, this isn't right, so I went for a walk, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times what we have to do is take our attention from inside and put it outside on the world around us, rather than, you know, what's going on in here. And from there, I called my dad, found that he was totally fine, and then I called the police station and reported the whole thing. But mm-hmm. it, it's it's kind of, we don't make very good decisions when we're stuck in emotion and stuck on what's inside of us. So for me, that's really what mindfulness is, is putting my attention outward.
1: Right, and they know that, so they are focusing in on trying to achieve the goal of, of you know, getting what they want out of you when your emotion is uh, is kind of beyond where it normally is. Totally. Yeah, so wow, that sounds like a, a not a very good experience, that's for sure.
0: Absolutely, but the thing is, you know, when we have, I guess, control over that, Bruce, and we have the ability to put our attention outward, it's a really big deal because I think... You know, all the things we have coming at us all the time are trying to introvert us and make us make bad decisions when if we can be here in this present moment and put our attention outward, we can do a lot more than that.
1: Yeah, we really can. Well, Jeremy, you seem like the kind of guy that you decide what you want to do or what you want to achieve in life, and you make it happen. And I've read a lot about you know, your background, and you, know, you got a history degree, and you got into teaching, and then you just felt it wasn't right for you. Tell us about that and how you kind of used mindfulness to just kind of go where you wanted to go. That was a really tough
0: situation, Bruce, because I, I think – this is something a lot of us do, and it's the reason my show is called "Create Your Own Life." Is I was making decisions based on what I thought other people wanted me to do, and though I was always somebody that was very interested, and that's why I did a lot of the things that I did. Like you know, religion interested me, so I have an undergrad degree in religion. You know, mm-hmm. literature interested me, so I studied um, in England for you know British literature history interested me. So I studied ancient history, but then it's kind of like, you know, what do you do from there? Because I I don't know that I'd recommend to to any parent to let their kid go to school that way. But my parents then decided, you know, you should be a teacher. That's what you should do. And I was like, okay, fine. I guess that's a next step. I've been a really Mm -hmm. good student and I got there and it just wasn't for me at all. You know, I was very stressed very feeling like I couldn't get my ideas over these kids but if I sat with somebody one on one I could you know show them my passion and show them what I wanted to do and it, when I was finally introduced to a network marketing opportunity that's how I found my way out and it isn't what I do anymore but it was at least a thing to get me to move and look for something else and it's kind of taken me along this journey to where I am now with you know internet marketing and also the create your own life podcast you know helping other people Follow me along my journey to creating my own life and learning from people that i have already done so to help them get to where they want to get. Because you know what? Am I where I want to be, Bruce? No. Am I working on it? Hell yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, we're going to talk about fitness and it seems to me that you've really achieved great things with your fitness. So tell us about that. When did you decide you wanted to be a, a really fit kind of guy? Um,
0: Gosh, probably when I was like 14 or 15. Yeah. And it's – I was a wrestler in high school, so it would just kind of seem like a natural progression for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I've always been somebody that's been motivated by, you know, numbers and wins and losses. So just regular fitness isn't something that really, I guess, cut the mustard for me. So more mm-hmm. or less, I, I went into powerlifting because I, I like the idea of, you know, I can beat yesterday's lift. Okay. And I, I practiced a type of workout called the Max OT, which – Early on in my fitness career had me in the gym, you know, like two hours a day. And as I've gotten older, you know, I'm, I'm 29 now. It's changed to, to more of the, the Tim Ferriss optimal minimalism type approach where I'm in the gym like 25 minutes to a half an hour and that's it. But I've kind of mixed that with a lot of the powerlifting background that I already have and I've been able to get some really good results um, by, you know, having proper form and everything else. So it's – you can really – get a lot out of your body if you're putting, you know, attention on the proper way to do things is what I've kind of found. So do you go to the gym every day, Jeremy? Five days a week.
1: Five days, yeah.
0: Five days four four to five days. Like this week is gonna be four days just because I
1: I hit everything I need to hit. So how do we know what to do when we get to the gym? I mean I know it's probably a complex question, but what do you think? You know, that's
0: really tough, Bruce, because and the reason I say that is because everybody's Body and the way it performs and what it can take is so different. Makes and sense. yeah, For me, it's been more or less trying a lot of things and seeing what my body responded best to. and And what I'm doing now is a workout which I for I'll do two sets per exercise, um, maybe three or four exercises, and then four to six reps per those sets. So I'm literally not in the gym very long at all. You know, the most of my time is probably spent resting in between those sets, but I've been able to figure out based on that, how my body's responded best. Cause I've tried a lot of different things and I haven't been able to get the results I want to get, you know what I mean? Cause I'm not somebody that's looking to be, you know, um, you know, bodybuilder physique, but I want to, I want to be somebody that's, that definitely looks like I work out, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So did you hire a trainer at the beginning when you wanted to achieve this?
0: No, I didn't um, though. I kind of had, it, it's interesting. I, I, I guess I can look at, I kind of had a mentor in a way mm-hmm. um, though. We were both the same age. One of my, one of my friends actually went on to be a professional bodybuilder. Okay. So he's actually, I think he's back East now. Cause we have, we're, we're not as close as we were back when we were 15, 16, but mm-hmm. he taught me a lot of what I knew. His name's Eli Blahut and he was out in California and Venice beach and all that stuff. So he, he's somebody that, had a lot of experience and had learned a lot and had then imparted that knowledge onto me. So I kind of had a good place to start. And I then had his tutorage for about two years. So do you do uh, cardio as well when you go to the gym? (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't recommend that for most people, but I don't. And that's because my body type, I can't. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah. So that's, like I said, I've, I've learned a lot what's worked for my body. If I do cardio based on, you know, I'd have to, if I wanted to keep the weight on, I do, I'm, I'm 5'7", I'm about a buck $1.70. Um, but if I wanted to keep that weight on, I would have to eat a ton more, and I've been in that place, Bruce, and you don't feel very good when you have to eat the amount you have to eat to do that. So what I've been able to do is figure out, well, if I really don't do cardio or I minimize on it, you know, we do some bicycle rides and stuff like that just for mm-hmm. fun with my wife and I. Yeah. But, but more or less, I figured out that, you know, I can do this half-hour power workout um, and I can just eat a low
1: carb diet and I'm in pretty good shape. I see. Okay. So are there certain sports that you enjoy? You mentioned cycling and what else? Um,
0: it, it's funny because I think as I've gotten more into business, I've cared less and less about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'd have to say cycling's definitely a big one because I've never been somebody that could run because I just find it to be extremely boring and not able to keep my attention, though I, I ran cross country in school. So um, I'd, I'd have to say for me, that's really the major one, though I, I watch some pro sports like baseball, but that's pretty much about it, Bruce. I haven't mm-hmm. really been somebody that's
1: other than my fitness routine, super, super athletic. Well, I have the impression that some people have a sense of mindfulness when they're cycling. You know, they get on the bike and they're just kind of zeroed in on what they're doing. And it gives your mind a chance not to be racing into other areas. How do you find it with cycling?
0: Um, It's not really that way for me because more or less I do it as a fun family thing, usually Mm – my wife and i go together so we're usually talking or chatting so that's not really what it is i think the gym is more of that for me because uh, it's it's a really interesting state that's difficult to explain but you kind of get in this this place where uh, you're you're extroverted on such a point that you know you're almost just controlling all the actions like like it's a video game you know what i mean yeah
1: <laughs> it's it's you kind of get to this next level you know what i mean yeah yeah I know. Yeah, so so you're in the gym, you're in this state, and you feel like, you know, you're you're probably not thinking about your worries. You're probably not thinking about work and stuff like that. What are you thinking about?
0: Um, you know, if that next weight is going to go up, that's pretty much the only thing I'm thinking about. Yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? It's because I, I, I've always had this, this activity since I was really young in my gym days of, of you know, visualizing what I was going to do, and that's, just because that's, that's something Eli taught me. You know, if you, if you know you can do it and you can see yourself doing it, you're going to execute that action. And that's always been what I've done before my major lifts is I've, I've seen myself doing it. And that's why
1: I think I've been so successful at doing that. Right. Right. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about your podcast. You got into business mm-hmm. and and you uh, you're just rocking it with this podcast and you're you know, just sharing so much with the world about how to start businesses. What are some of the most amazing things you've learned by interviewing people through your podcast?
0: Well, I think for me, the most impactful thing that I've learned is what their definition of success is, because that's my favorite question to ask people. And it's one of my finishing ones I always ask. But it's this whole idea that they're on this quest to get themselves successful so that they can then help other people because you're no good to anybody else if you haven't really created something you can share. You know what I mean? Because I think so much of society is just trying to keep their head above water and keep doing what they're doing. And it doesn't allow them to really make it about other people then. And I think for me, that's really been the biggest takeaway because they've all had kind of different ways of getting there. But that's that's really the purpose. And it's when you're able to take what you're doing And make it about more than just yourself and make it about others that you're really able to achieve something much larger scale, you know, and that's the biggest thing I've learned from the show. Um, I've also learned the value in really, truly communicating to somebody, and I think that's why I've been able to get a lot of the high-level guests that I've gotten. I've gotten a lot of them by, you know, an initial email blast that I sent out, but also a lot by networking and really paying attention to what people do and what people care about. So I've gotten a lot of referrals that way.
1: So Jeremy, what's your personal definition
0: of success? I have to say it's along those same lines, Bruce. It's yeah. it's really being able to get myself in a place where I can help other people. And, and you know, I, I think right now I'm in a place where I do have some money to be able to do that, but it's more or less my time and my action that I can do it with. But I want to get to that place where I can create something larger scale bigger scale and really help people you know move along why
1: do you think so many people have trouble meeting their definition of success a lot of people like they they just are all over the place and maybe discouraged and don't know where to turn next why do you think that is I, I
0: just there's so many ways you could answer that Bruce there really is because I, I think for every person it's very very different you know mm-hmm. it, it depends on you know maybe it was your upbringing maybe it was what you're dealing with now maybe you have some limiting beliefs that you're not totally aware of you know so I, I think to, to say there's a cookie cutter response to that is is pretty difficult because we're all kind of struggling with our own our own thing you know yeah. though, I, though I think we have
1: some things that we struggle with in common yeah. I think so, too. And, you know, you mentioned limiting beliefs, and I think they hold a lot of us back. And that really is related to mindfulness and mindset. You know, what's going on inside your head. And a lot of times we don't even realize it. How do you stay in touch with what's going on inside your head and keep it with the right agenda?
0: Um. Well, this is something I haven't really talked about in a podcast before. But um, but per my personal beliefs, I'm a Scientologist and we really in Scientology address the mind, the body and the spirit and, you know, what the mind is doing to the body. Because I think a lot of our experiences, unless we're aware of them and how they've happened to us, we're not able to really move forward. So the whole idea is, you know, I'm able to not just put a bandaid on a lot of these limiting beliefs, but actually get rid of them so that I can be more and do more. So how do you do that? Um, it's through a practice we have called auditing, where you basically talk to an auditor, which is someone who listens and they're able to actually help you work out these problems and, you know, not just help them be handled, but help them go away. And I think that's really, really cool to be able to actually deal with life in a way that I'm not just like, oh my gosh, I have to do ABC practice because I need to handle this thing, but it's going to be back in eight hours. You know, so it's, it's, there's a lot more to it than that, but in but in basics, that's how I'm able to move forward pretty successfully and pretty quickly. Well, an auditor sounds a
1: lot like a coach. Is
0: it similar? Um, it's it's not exactly like a coach because I think a coach gives you feedback. An auditor is more or less somebody that helps you talk the whole thing out so you can realize what happened. You know, you know. It's I, I think an auditor or a therapist or things like that. They kind of give you their own think on what you're doing, but the auditor is more or less somebody that makes you. Talk it out so that you can come to grips with what happened, why it happened, and have your own kind of, I guess, realization on what exactly you're doing,
1: if that makes sense. That does make sense. And I I notice a lot of people talk about working these things out through journaling. Is that part of what you do too?
0: No, I I don't practice any journaling. um, That was something I did when I was younger, more or less because I've always been a writer. So I want to kind of spit my thoughts out on paper because I forget them, but I, I don't really do any journaling now.
1: Yeah, I see. So connecting the mind, body and spirit I think is is something that we all need to move toward. So you've got you've got the whole piece with your body that you know where you want to go with that. You've got you've got this worked out with your mind and let's talk about the spirit. How how does that play a role for you
0: Jeremy? Well, I, I think, you know, in my, in my belief, they're all kind of one, you know what I mean? it's, mm-hmm. and it's, I think as, as we talked about the beginning of my workout journey, I was doing so many hours and so much time. And as I've gotten older, I've kind of realized, you know, I'm a spiritual being and I'm more than just a body. And mm-hmm. I think that's really where it all comes from because we have a lot of people that they're either, you know, they're just a body or they're just a mind. And we have to realize that number one, We are a spiritual being and we have to kind of pull away some of these things so we can really be who we are. And I think really addressing a lot of these, I guess, limiting beliefs and these thoughts and these things that have happened to me, I'm able to be more of who I am, which is first and foremost, you know, a spiritual being. Right.
1: Do you have anything in your life that would be like meditation, whether it's prayer or quiet time? What do you have that would be the equivalent of meditation?
0: It's, it's funny because I was talking to my wife about this when you had sent me the questions this morning. Cause I'm like, I don't quite have anything that's like meditation. She's like, well, if you had to look at it, you know, what's a place that kind of feels like Zen for you? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, for me, it's being ultimately in action or doing something. And I guess that's why the gym has always been so good for me because it's this thing where I'm in the highest level of action that I can possibly achieve out of my body. So for me, though people think i'm nuts that's why i love the gym is is really it's been this thing that's allowed me to be in the highest level of action and i guess feel most at peace that's that's where i'm feeling it is is literally when i'm at my most aggressive which is kind of interesting but for me that's peace
1: wow that's great and how do you think you could help somebody else get to that level
0: um well, I, I for me, it would be through a, a book that originally led me to Scientology, which was called Dianetics. And that's learning about how the mind actually works, what the mind's doing to the body and what the mind's doing to the spirit. And for me, that would be the way I would help somebody else is just kind of learning what I've learned.
1: So how long have you been uh, into Scientology?
0: Uh, four years, almost five years. And it was just for me, really picking up that book at the time that uh, my mom had had a pretty bad stroke. And I had always been somebody that was very, very religious. But I kind of realized that at this point in time, that wasn't addressing things for me. And I needed something else to help me with that. And I'll always have my own way that I reach God. But this has been kind of the way that I was able to handle what was happening to me. Because Bruce, I was very emotional when that happened, man. I, I forgot pretty much three days of my life. And really? I, I needed something to help me deal with that. And I think we all need something to help us deal with what's happened to us in our lives. Because I think if I didn't have that, I would have been stuck in that place, man,
1: you know? Yeah. So with Scientology, does God seem different?
0: Um, I think it seems different because I'm able to take more responsibility for my own life. Because I think sometimes we 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 want to say that because God's there and He's so important, which He definitely is, and He's definitely our Creator in a lot of ways. But I, I think we we tend to shrug off responsibility a little bit, and we're more responsible for our lives than we want to claim to be. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, you know, if I take a certain action, there's going to be a certain result. You know what yeah, I mean? And we want to say we want to say that oh, if I just take this action, whatever, um, because God will handle it. He'll handle certain things, and He definitely will. But we have to be responsible for our lives. Because I I think that, you know, we'll take a lot of actions and I guess blame it on something
1: else. You know what I mean? We're allowing something else to take responsibility for what we've done. I do. And I I think that this is something more and more in my own life. I believe in this whole idea of responsibility, be responsible, Bruce, realize that you are responsible, but it's funny because even though I believe that I turn around and I think about maybe something I did yesterday or something I was even thinking yesterday. And I was thinking, okay, was I really truly taking responsibility? I think my brain tricks myself in that area of responsibility. Do well, you I, ha- ever have
0: that happen? Well, you, you know what, Bruce, and that's been something that when, you know, um, when I was younger I had a little bit of a difficulty with. And the, the thing I've found is, once it's already happened, you can't change it. You know what I mean? So I, yeah. I try to keep my attention off of, oh my gosh, that just happened, what am I gonna do about it, blah, blah, blah because that takes me out of this present moment. Right. And I try to look at, okay, well that sucks that I did that. How can I be responsible for it now that it happened? How how can I help to do something for it? And how can I be more responsible and, you know, take full responsibility for, you know, what's going on in my life? Like, if there's a power outage and it's going to make it so I can't have any production at work, well, then I should have had a generator. You know what I mean? Yes. You need to take total responsibility for everything that's going on in your life.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, I, I agree with that with my podcast, because that's something that's really important to me. And I have, I have recorded interviews in my vehicle a number of times, because, <laughs> me too, man. you know, because <laughs> I thought, you know what, I've got this scheduled, and I'm just doing it. And I have three sources of internet, I have a portable one that I have in my vehicle, and then I have one in my studio, and I have one at home. So I have three options, if you know, something goes wrong with any of them. And I I just feel, you know, it is my responsibility. I owe it to my guests to make sure I show up, you yeah,
0: know? put yeah. it puts you as a professional. And this is funny because I, I actually just think of a pretty uh, recent experience I just got a chance to interview Hal Elrod from The Miracle Morning. Oh, yeah. And, and I, we were on vacation and I used the uh, Wi-Fi on my phone to interview him from our camper. And then when I got back, I was like, wow, he sounds great. My audio is horrible because the acoustics aren't very great inside your camper when you're out on vacation. So I recorded word for word my exact responses. So it sounded perfect. So (laughs) I totally understand, man.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I I hear you. I would be doing that too. So that's cool. Yeah. I'd love to interview Hal. I've, I've reached out a couple of times and one of these times, you know, I'll be able to get him on my show I'm pretty sure because you know he really talks about you know getting meditated and I love the morning routine I've been doing it for quite a while since I read The Miracle Morning I really believe in what he what he teaches I think it's excellent so anyway Jeremy I've worked in bullying prevention for quite a long time and I've seen how You know, the whole idea of mindfulness really can help reduce bullying because it helps kids and adults understand just what you said earlier that, you know, if something happens, you know, don't get all ballistic over it. Don't let your emotion take over. Just, you know, realize you're living in the moment, not what just happened, not Mm -hmm. what might happen. Do you have a story about bullying that you could share with us?
0: Oh, man, Bruce, you got me again. Here is another thing I haven't talked about anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And I actually just got in a discussion with Calvin Wayman about this at the last conference I was at. And he's like, you? Really? You're Superman. Um, so yeah. I was actually somebody in school that was picked on from the time I was in second grade until I, like, pretty much got through high school. And really? Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I look at it, and, you know, at the time, that's probably why I started working out in the level that I did. Because I didn't want those big guys to pick on me anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Though I wasn't going to do anything about it. But I think that's part of the problem is, you know what? I, I, when I was in that place, I looked at it as, oh, poor me. You know, there isn't a toilet bowl that I haven't seen. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I look at it now and I'm like, well, come on, man. You need to take responsibility for that and you should have done something about it. You could have told somebody. You could have, you know, organized something. You could have done something about it. It's not poor you. It's never poor you. Right. Like, you know, maybe the guy that's doing it is a jerk but there is some way we need to go and handle that. And that doesn't exactly mean taking matters in our own hands because I don't think violence is ever the way. But I think there are other
1: ways, if you're solution-oriented, that you could have handled that. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, it, you must have felt like a victim at the time then, is that right? Oh, man, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I wallowed in it, brother. I was, I,
0: I, it was something that I was always somebody that was very exuberant and out there, and they mm-hmm. couldn't handle that. Yeah. So because of that, I became the quiet kid in high school. You know, it was mm-hmm. pushed in in grammar school that and it wasn't until, you know, I got through college and got older that I realized, hey, man, it's what anybody thinks I am doesn't really matter. You know what I think I am. That's what matters. That's and what matters. Yeah. yeah and, I, and I think there needs
1: to be more of that where it's OK to just be who you are, you know. So do you remember a specific incident when you were younger that just like seemed like a killer incident? You know, I
0: I can't really pick of any off the top of my head, except, you know, maybe there was this one time that um, it was probably it was one kid that kind of motivated the whole thing when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the exact incident, but I I know the outcome of it was he claimed that I was picking on him. So I got in trouble for it, which was the worst part of it. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, it's. And, and that's not to say play the victim. It's to say, you know, how can I take full responsibility for this? And that's how my viewpoint and that's really changed as I've gotten older.
1: Yeah, boy. You know, but it is tough as kids because, you know, how do you tell a kid, oh, you need to take responsibility? It, it's not easy because kids children are children you know like you're you're learning you're experiencing life and and it's it's really a tough time and people can take advantage of you and put you into that place where you feel like a victim and you just think that's you that's part of your identity it becomes that way doesn't it well
0: i think too though bruce i think society is partly to blame for that because we think that you know making people feel like horrible human beings is funny and i i think when you grow up in that that place and that time, um, how you're going to treat other people is really going to change. Um, when rather to, rather than putting somebody down, we should be looking for a way for, you know, how can we do something together? How can we figure things out? How can we all be successful? And I, I I think that's the viewpoint that needs to change rather than, you know, um, all the TV shows we have or, you know, degrading people and and things Mm -hmm. like that. It's, it's, it starts from there, man, because when society is raising kids that way and raising people that way, we're gonna have a lot more issues like that. And that's not to say that we should be out there all singing Kumbaya. It, it, it's to say that we need to respect each other, you know, and I think that's
1: where it starts. I do too, and you know, even with social media, you know, there's just so much of what you're describing.
0: I Well, let me say something about that first too, Bruce, yeah. I, not yeah. to
1: cut you off, but I,
0: I think that's one of the big problems with social media is you can sit behind a computer and say whatever the heck you want and it's okay. You know what I mean? It, it takes yeah. away that accountability a little bit.
1: Yeah, it really does. Yeah, for sure. Jeremy, my my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. So here's the first one. Who's one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? L. Ron Hubbard, the author of Dianetics. So how has mindfulness affected your emotions? Um,
0: I don't buy as much into them because I think emotions are important to experience life and it's kind of the the channel of how we do it. But I think sometimes we let it affect our decision making. So I've learned to separate my emotions from my decision making and try and deal just with data. Tell us how breathing is part of
1: your mindfulness. I don't really have a way that breathing is part of my mindfulness. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I expect when you lift weights, you do you focus on your breathing at all? Do you even think about it, or what?
0: No, I'm just, like, kind of so in a place of action that I don't really think about my breathing at all. Right, okay. Could you recommend a book that might be related to mindfulness? Um, Dianetics, the modern science of mental health. Can you share an
1: app which might help you be more mindful?
0: Well, you know what? I don't quite have an app that would share mindfulness in the way that you're thinking of, but for me, um, I use an app called Evernote to be able to pour my brain out on, you know whenever i'm out wherever i am because i like to write a lot and if i don't mm-hmm. if i don't have something to write it down i'm going to forget it so i th- i think for me
1: that's more of a productivity thing is is evernote well, it is productivity, but it can also keep your mind so that you know you've made a record of that thought and you don't have to keep trying to remember it. So to me, it, it is closely related to mindfulness as well as productivity. So I'm glad you mentioned that, Jeremy. What advice would you give a person who's new to this whole idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their life?
0: I'd say the big thing is learning to separate your emotions from your decision making because we make a lot of very highly emotionally charged decisions and then afterwards we really either regret them or think they were incorrect. So I think that's one of the biggest things for me to be able to you know, just deal with, okay, what do I see? What do I know? Because I think a lot of times we try to put our own think into things rather than just observing what happens. So I think the biggest thing I would say is observe and make your decisions from data.
1: Well, I really appreciate what you said about that, and I really appreciate this whole interview because, Jeremy, I don't think mindfulness is a word that you really think of when you describe yourself in your own mind. I mean, that's my impression. Mm -hmm. But what I love about this interview is because from everything that you've said I think you are an incredibly mindful person. It's just that you don't necessarily think of that word as the description for the kind of person you are, you know? And so that's why I think it can help Mindful Tribe so much. My listeners out there, you know, listen to all these things Jeremy has been telling us and explaining and just the way he is to me He's a solid, mindful guy that has really taken charge of his life, and that's what you've done as far as I'm concerned. You are a take charge kind of guy, you're an action guy as you describe it, and I think that's a lot of what mindfulness is. It's not just kind of sitting around and think, oh, you know, poor me, look at my life, look at the way things are. You know, you you make a decision, you think about how you want things to be, and you move forward. And you are that kind of guy. So I really appreciate you being on the show, Jeremy. It's been great having you here.
0: Bruce, thanks for having me, man. I, I, number one, appreciate you know, the way you communicate because you're really kind of great at just feeling like it's a conversation. And number two, I love what you're doing for people here to to get them to move forward and not kind of be stuck in a lot of the muck we get stuck in. So thanks for having me, man.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. So how can Mindful Tribe learn more about what you do and maybe connect with you, Jeremy? They can check me out
0: over at jeremyryanslate.com. They can find all my social media links there, my YouTube channel and my
1: podcast. Awesome. Well, we'll be definitely checking you out, and I really enjoy your podcast, I'll tell you that right now. So, <laughs> Thank you, Bruce. Yeah, you're welcome. So you have a great rest of your day, Jeremy. You too. Yeah, thanks. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. Wasn't Jeremy amazing? I just loved this interview. And well, check out the show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. There are even more details there. Next time, I'm excited about my, well, I'm interviewing a guy who has been a rock star. And he's got great wisdom and great knowledge. He was a rock star in the United Arab Emirates, which I think is fascinating. Khaled Gaurab is episode 147. Well, take what you've learned today with Jeremy Ryan Slate and use it to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, stay in the mode.